Hello, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent. I'm here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham. And before we dive into our discussion today with our special guest, I um, just want to remind everyone to check out our blog. It's theparticularbaptist.net. We upload to that weekly. Um, and check out our YouTube channel. It's, uh, I actually just uploaded the URL or updated the URL today, so it reflects more of the page's description. So it's uh, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash the particular Baptist. So like, subscribe, share. Um, and with that, I will hand it over to Sean to introduce our guests and topic. Yeah, so we actually have a, a very special guest today. It's our uh, pastor, um, Pastor Steve Clevenger of uh, Covenant Reformed Baptist Church. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Reformed Baptist history and where we as Reformed Baptists uh, may be headed in the future. Um, so with that, we'll probably jump into our, uh, some questions. Um, so, uh, Pastor Steve, um, what, what was the beginning of the modern Reformed Baptist movement? The beginning of the Reformed, uh, uh, the modern Reformed Baptist movement. That's a good question because sometimes there's a, uh, some confusion about that or it's just very un, unclear for many. But if it's okay, let me, let me begin by, um, by setting some background uh, for this and, and who are Reformed, our particular Baptists. Um, the, the earliest particular Baptists appeared uh, in England in the first half of the 17th century. Uh, we use the word Baptist to, to describe really reformed Baptistic congregationalist. Uh, though the term Baptist was not used uh, by uh, those early congregations or individuals as a self-identifier at, at that point early on, in fact, they would probably just consider themselves Christians and as um, nonconformist in relation to the state church uh, that is the Church of England. Uh, the early documents that we have from that period, those individuals and churches would refer to themselves simply as baptized Christians. Um, and if I had to paint that, that setting very broadly, um, they were basically individuals and churches of the congregational persuasion who begin to question infant baptism. Um, that would be the beginning of what we would know as the early particular Baptists, uh, as we would call them uh, in the 17th century. They, they would eventually publish uh, confessions of faith and catechisms, uh, most notably what we know today as the 1644 or 1647 catechi uh, confession of faith and the 1677 or as we call the 1689 confessions of faith. And with those documents, we can see that, um, that they were in the mainstream Puritan, in the sense that they, they understood themselves as part of the continual progress of Protestant Reformation, and that the scriptures, uh, the Bible, was to determine uh, the doctrine, uh, 
the the worship and the life uh, of the church. They were, um, from those documents we know, they were Calvinistic in their soteriology. Uh, and as that theology develops and we see it in those confessions, we see it's, they're not only Calvinistic, as we would say, in the way of soteriology, they were covenantal and congregational. And um, I probably need to say, and this would be an entire different discussion, but uh, the term congregational would not be understood in the same way as it is today in American Christianity. Uh, they, uh, this is Puritan congregationalism. Uh, they had the biblical office of elder, and their congregations would usually have a plurality of, of elders. But in those ways, they were very much in the main Reformed and Puritan with some modifications, uh, with some modification to their covenant theology. Um, and those modifications to their covenant theology would lead to their understanding of the church, their ecclesiology would set it apart. And so this, re this result would be, uh, this would result in a firm belief in a confessing our believers church uh, accompanied with believers baptism or as like as we like to say today credo baptism the, the language that they would use that we find uh in their writings the language that they would use or to add that would develop would be a visible church made up of visible saints is how they would define it um so they're they're setting themselves apart from the church being made uh, or uh, its membership being um, synonymous with everyone that lived in a region, like in a parish, like a parish church. Uh, they, want, they believed that the scriptures taught that there was to be a visible church made up of visible saints, those that confessed faith and gave evidence of new life in Jesus Christ. Um, the, the particular Baptists, um, did hold to a view of, of the church Catholic or universal. However, uh, their attention was primarily on the local visible congregation. And this is important because it's, it's really their ecclesiology, their understanding of the doctrine of the church that's going to set them apart from other Reformed communions. And this distinction touched upon several, several areas um, from, a, from a denial of infant baptism uh, to church-state relationship. And this would just continue as they would think through this, would evolve. And it would even lead to, um, uh, to thoughts or views concerning religious liberty were involved in this. Um, I, I would also add, and I, I don't want to leave out the importance of their understanding of uh, the early particular Baptists, of their understanding of worship in the local church. They, they had a high view of the Puritan understanding of the regulative principle of worship. The scriptures alone were to uh, determine um, the practice of worship of the gathered congregation. 
Christ alone was the, the head of the church, and he alone would determine by his word, that is through the scriptures, what is true worship. And so again, these were, uh, these very much would set them into the context of Puritanism, and yet they had their, their own distinctives as particular Baptists. So, so to understand something about what we would call particular Baptists or what we call today Reformed Baptist churches, we need to understand something about their past. Again, they were congregational churches of the Puritan persuasion that held to believers' baptism and would eventually, in, in, their, in their exact wording, they would put forth by the elders and congregations a, a confession of faith describing their beliefs. It was uh, first published in uh, 1677, and then it would later be adopted by the London General Assembly of Churches in 1689. And, um, and it would be that document that would begin to, as we look back now, and as church historians would say, as they look back to uh, see the beginnings of what we would call particular Baptists or today uh, Reformed Baptists, those would be their early beginnings. So there's some differences back there, and the waters can get murky at times, but that's the basic, broadly, broad understanding of what, uh, where they came from. And, and, and one more thing I would add is that the, the documents that, were, that they would use, again, to put emphasis upon the, the influence of the Reformation and of Puritanism on these early particular Baptists, the documents that were used to form, and we might better say edit, uh, the Second London Confession were essentially were essentially the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, the Savoy uh, Declaration, and the First London Baptist Confession of Faith. There were other documents that probably influenced that, of course, the Bible, but the the catechisms uh, of those documents. But those documents were essentially the documents that would uh, that they used to edit what would become uh, the Lo the second london baptist confession of faith and of what we know as the 1689 yeah so yeah, that's interesting pastor you point out that they saw themselves as part of the reformed community i think there is kind of a a pushback i think from our presbyterian brother some of them anyways that try to paint uh, baptists as anabaptists or not really part of the reformed community um, but with regards to the core doctrines of uh, Protestantism, they held to those, you know, faith alone, grace alone, glory to God alone, uh, with regards to salvation and a strong view of the local church, um, which was part of Protestantism away from a, this universal church that seemed to dictate how people were to believe and act. Yeah, I, I think that, that most now, most uh, church historians of all types uh, recognize that uh, there were different streams of what we might call Baptistic groups. Yeah. Uh, but that which we know as particular Baptists, uh, Reformed Baptists today, um, were not from the Anabaptist stream on the continent, but came out of 
separatism are the dissenters of the uh, in the in the during the English Reformation. They again they were Congregationalist that came to Baptistic uh, beliefs over a period of time. Yeah, and it's and it's and when you look at Anabaptist history as well, you see such a sharp deviation from Orthodoxy. Some of them going towards um, kind of a Pentecostal mindset with uh, spiritual gifts. Some of them outright denying the Trinity. Um, so yeah, I mean that to equate the two, I think is is really historical error. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, along with what you guys are, what were some of the questions that you were asking me beforehand about the beginnings of the modern Reformed Baptist movement, but but especially as we speak of North America. Um, because local churches today, I, I would say that local churches today that um, that subscribe to the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, um, they're typically in our time, in modern times, they're they are referred to as as Reformed Baptist churches. I, I, I think there I think there are uh, actually uh, in 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 Britain there are some churches that still have the title particular Baptist in their name, but I'm not aware of any in the States uh, that, that have that title, but, uh, but typically we call them reformed Baptists. Um, and, and what's interesting is that reformed Baptists in a modern sense, use that term to describe or to identify themselves with those 17th century congregations especially those who subscribe to the second london baptist confession of faith so it it, it is it is in, in in the modern sense it is synonymous with particular baptists to say particular baptists is to mean reformed baptists and vice versa um but um it, what's interesting is it appears that the name the name reformed baptists uh, began to be used by the Presbyterians to describe those Calvinistic Baptists who were attending Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia in the late 1950s and early 1960s. So it is interesting that in our present days, sometimes um, our Presbyterian brethren recoil at the name Reformed Baptists but they gave it to us. <laughs> it appears that that's where the name came from, is they would describe, uh, describe Baptists uh, attending Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to have to remember that one the next time I encounter someone trying to say that Baptists can't be reformed. <laughs> <laughs> well, congregations, to continue with what... Um, you, you guys were have been asking me here and and uh, the this over this larger question about modern day reformed baptists um congregations in our day may not all use that term like we, like we said you, you don't see churches at least that i'm aware of in the united states using the term particular baptist to describe the local congregation though why we use that term historically to describe ourselves not all churches today will even use the term Reformed Baptist uh, in their church name or as an identifier for themselves. 
So, so names may vary. Uh, they just may be called Grace Baptist Church, Covenant Baptist Church, or even something like Covenant Church or Grace Church or something such as that to describe themselves. So the names may vary, but, and, and additionally, there, there, there are a range of differences uh, in, in these congregations um, concerning polity, um, some doctrinal nuances, and in, in worship. Um, and those things can vary from congregation to congregation. However, we typically think that we think of the common factor of those churches that we would put in that category of Reformed Baptists in the modern sense. The common factor would be a subscription, and there's a different way, and there's different ways churches subscribe to the confession, but mm-hmm. a subscription to the Second London Confession. That's usually the common denominator. And those, those differences as I spoke about, can differ from congregation to congregation. And they should actually be expected on one level because of our ecclesiology. And and Mm. what I mean by this is that it's difficult to have churches walking in close or or lockstep and everything when we hold fundamentally to an ecclesiology that stresses congregationalism, that stresses the independency of the local church. And though there are sure a number of factors that are involved, but, but Reformed Baptists don't have a, a hierarchy of bishops or presbyteries outside of the local congregation prescribing those details down on the local church in its life. And so while we do have a common confession, much of those things in the confession will be notably found among us. There's, there's great diversity in the churches because of that. There's not a, 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 um, a common book that we would use as a book of church order. Uh, there's not a bishop, as I said. There's not a presbytery, a regional presbytery that's dictating um, details of church life. And so we would see diversity uh, among the churches, though a common core of beliefs of those churches that hold to the second London, even if those, even while often subscription to the confession may vary on different levels, we do see common, a, a common faith among those churches at some level. And I would say that, um, that diversity among our churches, it should teach us from church to the church and our congregations to be charitable to one another in light of those passages. Because sometimes those differences on a local church level, there may be issues that that local church or the eldership are working through uh, regionally or uh, in their present setting that some of us aren't aware of, you know, three states over or halfway around the world. We should consider that and be charitable to those brethren and those congregations. I think too, I think our confession does allow for some small liberties in terms of cultural differences with regards to how worship is to be conducted in the broader principle of the regulative principle. Um, because taking into account that there are differences depending on where you are. Yeah. If you, if you just begin that discussion uh, not, uh, I mean, 
among reform folks in general, but uh, particular or reform Baptists in particular, you'll find that even uh, views of the uh, regulative principle and how it's implemented may greatly vary mm. from exclusive psalm singing to no musical instruments or limited musical instruments and an array of other issues from convictions about the practice of the Lord's Supper on a weekly, regular basis. So, so those things can, can greatly vary. Uh, but I, 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 I'm just um, uh, thrilled that churches are laboring to, to the best of their ability to go to the scriptures and to apply the Bible to um, their worship and, and try to keep it within that realm of what the scriptures teach us by the head of the church, of what pleases him in worship, we are laboring to implement in the life of the church and, and not to allow all these other things if possible. And so I, I, if, if churches are laboring to do that, um, uh, I'm for them. Uh, again, uh, there, there are great variances on how that's implemented. And, uh, and we continue to think to that through this uh, to this day, because we continue, we continue to grow and to mature as churches and as individuals uh, concerning a number of issues about our confession and our history. So there's been, um, obviously, we're all very interested in Reformed Baptist history. There's been somewhat of a resurgence, I'd say, in the past 20 years about studying uh, Reformed Baptist history. Um, why do you think that is? Why such the interest? Well, um, again, that's a, a good question. Um, as I was thinking through this, as you guys set that question before me, as I was thinking about that this week, um, again, there's, there's some things in our current setting here in North America that relate to that, to that resurgence. Um, I guess back to your original question, you know, what are the beginnings of modern Reformed Baptists in North America? And, and we are talking about North America uh, because um, there are things that happened and are happening in other places of the world concerning Reformed Baptists, which uh, is wonderful, uh, namely the United Kingdom, South Africa, and, and even Asia, especially Southeast Asia. Uh, we see much happening concerning uh, Reformed Baptist churches. But, uh, but in North America, um, I, I think what when we speak of what's happening now, again, realizing what has happened here in our circles, the last especially 200, 150 years in the United States, uh, it's, it's important to realize that one, that uh, because we have our, our confession of faith that we're subscribing to has come from us overseas. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, a, the London Baptist Confession of Faith. However, uh, in North America, early on in American colonies, uh, Baptists of these convictions, uh, particular Baptist convictions, arrived, began to establish churches. By, um, by 1742, by 1742, 
Baptist churches. There was an association large enough up and down the eastern seaboard, what was known as, and they, and they were called the Philadelphia Baptist Confession of Faith, the, the Philadelphia Baptist Confession of Faith, I mean, uh, Baptist Association, should I say, the Philadelphia Baptist Association by 1742 adopted a, an Americanized version of the Second London, and it was called the Philadelphia Baptist Confession of Faith. They did add two uh, additional chapters um, uh, to uh, the Second LBC. Besides that, I, th I believe it's word for word besides these two additional chapters. One was on uh, singing, and the other item was uh, on the laying on of hands, and we should be careful because there are some, um, unfortunately, uh, floating around some printed publications of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, which really on the inside is the Philadelphia Confession mm. of Faith. Mm. They're floating around, but uh, so we should be aware of that. They're not the Second London, but but it's the Philadelphia Confession of Faith. And then with that, not only do we see these early particular Baptists in the United States, but then by the 19th century, um, which is actually a very large influence concerning what we would think of the resurgence or uh, the, the concern about the confession and this uh, interest in it uh, in our time is the Southern Baptist Convention. Because by the, by the 19th century, the Southern Baptist Convention forms um, in 1845, in Augusta, Georgia, uh, all of the churches that were represented with represented with, by their delegates, their delegates, they held to uh, the um, the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, which is essentially, in essence, uh, the Second London. Uh, in essence, they were, in essence, particular our Reformed Baptists in their founding in 1845. And um, it, it and it would be through this stream personally that I was influenced uh, to uh, theologically uh, develop in what I am today uh, doctrinally concerning being a Reformed Baptist by those early influences in Southern Baptist life uh, because of them being reprinted in the 20th century. I mean, we have the writings of of the men that would become the leading theologians in, in the Southern Baptist Convention during that period. These are men like um, uh, James Boyce. Uh, this is not like James Boyce of 10th Street Presbyterian, <laughs> but James Boyce, uh, uh, James P. Boyce, um, uh, and it's B-O-Y-C-E. Um, his um, abstract of, uh, I have it here, abstract abstract of systematic theology um also john dag his writings uh which he pastored was from this area where we live in virginia pastored uh, uh actually right up the road from here uh oh wow point. yeah dag's creek is down by dumfries virginia which is right south of here uh this this was his area right here um, we, so we have, uh, his writings and, and they're, they're very much, um, in unison with our confession of faith, 
very rich theologically, a benefit for anyone who wants to know more about particular or Reformed Baptists are for pastors or men who want to grow in the understanding of our confession of faith. Those are wonderful books that will help in that area. Uh, however, however, by the turn of the, of the 20th century, by again, there are a number of influences, but notably uh, E.Y. Mullins, Edgar uh, Young Mullins, uh, he became the president of the flagship SBC seminary the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And with him, it became evident that there was theological drift uh, from uh, the convictions of previous generations. Um, now, now, this is important because this is the largest group of Baptist churches in North America, and they originally held to a common faith with with the early particular English particular Baptists. So we, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what happened mm. from then till, you know, 150 years later, what has happened? Because if you look around, um, Rick Warren, Stephen Furtick, those guys do not look like particular Baptists. And yet no, those are churches no, <laughs> of the convention. Uh, I believe there's still churches of the convention. Leighton Flower. Yeah. And so you have to ask yourself, what has happened? And um, again, I want to be careful. There are very good sound churches uh, within the convention. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet there, there's this broad diversity that's greater than diversity I was talking about earlier um, from men that would hold to doctrine that is considered just in broad Christian Orthodox doctrine that they those men would hold to that are that's considered aberrant or even heretical, uh, aberrant at best. Um, but but at the same time, there are very good sound churches within the SBC uh, who are solid. Um, but but you have to ask yourself as a whole what what happened to the convention to get from that point to where they are today. And, uh, and, and I would say, because this does lead to where we are and how we arrived onto the scenes as Reformed Baptists and a large influence of its growth. You've had Tom Hicks on the show, which, which uh, his church uh, is aligned with the SBC, trained in the Southern Baptist Seminary, and other men that whom we love from Fred Malone, others, um, Tom Nettles, Thomas mm -hmm. Tom Asko, others within those circles. Um, but from the best I can understand, um, it appears that something like um, that probably like American uh, uh, influences from American revivalism, uh, like the awakenings, yep. the first and uh, second uh, awakenings. Uh, and there were other smaller ones along the way, even into the second part of the 19th century that those uh, revivals or awakenings, um, this is probably maybe controversial in some circles, but I would say they had a negative theological impact on the churches. 
that and and I'm willing to say yes, there may have been deadness in a number of the churches. Uh, that there were some problems that were there. There needed to be a breath of life in them. But uh, in general, the awakenings, uh, I'm convinced, had a negative impact theologically on the churches. Again, that would be a discussion for another time of how and what that was. But uh, so there was the influence of the awakenings and revivalism. Um Again, as we're moving from the 19th into the 20th century with these influences, there was at the beginning of, of the 20th century the influence of modernism, uh, that is, uh, liberal Christianity with its criticism of the Bible and criticism of the fundamental doctrines um, uh, comes onto the scene at this time. Um, in Presbyterian circles, we see a reaction by Machen to this. Um, yep. in a p- very positive way. In Baptist circles, um, many of the Baptists would move toward, unfortunately, um, a narrowing. They would, uh, a narrowing of the definition of the faith. And it would be known as the fundamentals, mm-hmm. become fundamentalist, funda- the fundamentals. And, and, and frankly, because of that, uh, and that reaction, it appears that, that large confessions of faith became out of vogue. Mm. Uh, everything, uh, rather than focusing on this large document, we're going to focus on holding the line on these fundamentals, which end up being basically, if I recall correctly, it was five fundamentals they would hold to uh, and, and hold up and emphasize uh, inerrancy of scripture, the virgin birth, the person of Christ, uh, the atoning death of Jesus, and the resurrection. And so things become became narrowed. Um, that happened, um, which also would have an influence, influence uh, for the next hundred years, even to this day, upon evangelicalism with having smaller, I think that led to having these smaller postage stamp sized confessions or statements of faith with like 10 sentences mm-hmm. because of that. I, I just don't think it ever really grew out of that, if that makes sense. And, and um, all of those events from uh, the awakenings and then what would result in out of those awakenings, this term revivalism and, uh, modernism, the fundamentalist movement, all of those things, like a like a storm, would lead to the erosion of doctrinal integrity of the previous generations, of the in the SBC and in American Christianity in general, and a push against uh, larger confessions of faith. Um, and along with those, those factors alone, then by, by World War II, right after World War II, you begin to have the influence of the church growth movement. And the church growth movement would continue to erode doctrinal integrity of the churches because they want the church to be as broad as possible, again, to erode, downplay doctrinal convictions, uh, and then 
with that would also begin to play with an understanding of the worship of the church um, and what would happen on Sunday morning. It would become more of a, an event, uh, very entertainment-oriented to gather the masses and the crowds. And so that would, all of these factors to get together um, would begin to have a destructive influence on American evangelicalism and upon Baptist churches, and it would lead to the loss of what I believe would be uh, our, our, uh, our heritage and doctrinal convictions of the past. So by the, all of this to say that by the mid of, by the mid 20th century, by the, by the mid 20th century, by the grace of God, there would be men now, men and churches uh, that would begin to learn anew uh, the doctrines of the past, um, that would begin to recover uh, the confessions of the Reformation, notably in our case, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. And uh, that recovery would begin by the mid-20th century, um, it will be and continues to be a long and slow process of recovery and retrieval. It continues to our present day. And we, we have a long ways to go. We still have a long ways to go. So as each generation thinks we're making great progress, as we dig, as we read, as we uh, continue to search deeply uh, with the scriptures and our confession, we find that we still have a long ways to go. It's almost as if uh, Reformed Baptists are going through, a, to use the term very loosely, a mini-Reformation in the sense that in, during the Reformation, the reformers were seeking to go back to the sources, go back to its roots, right? And I think we see the Reformed Baptist movement starting to do that. And um, more men are starting to come onto the CMC as like Richard Barcellus, um, the Renahans, the Dolezals, going back to what these men wrote, the church fathers, and using that to influence how we view our confession and how we should be teaching theology. Um, and it's interesting to see the pushback that um, comes with that to some extent, you know, like with the controversy of divine simplicity and trying to recover those type of that core doctrine and the pushback that that receives. But these men are going back and saying, well, these doctrines are not only found in scripture, but they're rooted in our history, particular Baptist history, and even back to the early church in the fourth century. So, um, you know, it's important to go back to these things so that we can see where it is we came from and how we can move forward. Very important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We are, we are seeing that happen, uh, and it has been happening. We continue to see that happen. Um, but um, tradition, tradition in the negative sense uh, can be strong in men's um, demeanor, in their minds, in their yeah. hearts. Yep. Um, cause just as the reformers, we, you know, the expression at fontes back to the sources as the reformers would go back to the scriptures and to 
the church in previous generations, and uh, and there would be a, a a reformation. We see that um, that Rome would resist that uh, as it had developed certain traditions and uh, theological convictions through the centuries. They were resistant to it, and we're seeing even in our time, uh, even in Baptist circles, evangelical circles, uh, a resistance because, they, in fact, these men make no shame of calling themselves traditionalist or tradition, and um, and they will resist against um, going back to the sources, the Word of God, the beliefs of the church through its through the centuries, and 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 gathering those things, reviewing those things, and. Um, and by that, uh, we're seeing a, a restoring, a reformation, a retrieval of theological integrity uh, of, of our churches. Again, um, it, this seems to be the case every time that people resist that. Um, so, so we learn that actually going forward, us moving forward, is by looking back and learning from the past, we move forward. Uh, that's it's it's very important that we understand that that um there's things there's nothing new um we we learn from the past um it's very important we should be humble about god's activity and the life of his church and among his people in the past and learn from those things yet we continue to move forward but we learn from the past but above all uh, god's word well, um, thank you very much, Pastor Steve. Uh, this this uh, podcast, we've talked about um, uh, where Reformed Baptists have been and uh, where we are currently, and we'll uh, pick up in another podcast um, uh, where, we're, where we think we're going. So uh, thank you very much for uh, being our guest today, Pastor. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.